Why does God allow evil in this world? Pondering the answer to that question can be mind-boggling and overwhelming. But there are answers. In fact, there are five biblical responses to that question that really grant deep understanding on a very difficult subject. Find out what those answers are on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Why does God allow evil to exist in this world and the pain that goes along with it, the damaged people, the destroyed lives? That's a question that probably all of us have asked at one time or another. Why are there things such as war, murder, greed, avarice, lust, immorality? Why do these things exist? Why does God allow these things to exist? If God is good, why are there so many things in this world that could be labeled bad? And if the wicked one, the prince of darkness that was once a perfect angelic being became wicked, how did that happen? When, where, and how did wickedness enter into him? Did it come from God or from within his own being? All of those questions need to be answered. All of those are mysteries that have boggled the minds of people as they try and unravel the problems of life and somehow make sense out of all of this. Let me answer the last question first about Satan's origin, Satan's existence, and I do believe in a literal being named Satan. I've actually had personal encounters with that being, and so I know that he exists. Let me read two passages in the Old Testament that deal with Satan, and I'm not going to read them in entirety. It's Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 19, and Ezekiel 28 verses 12 through 19. And both of those passages are on one level prophetic utterances to first the king of Babylon and through Ezekiel to the king of Tyre, but they were really directed to the one who was in a invisible domineering position controlling those empires, which were somewhat evil empires, and the evil force behind it, of course, was Satan. And so the prophetic word that you're going to hear could not be applied just to the earthly kings. It had to be applied to Satan himself. In Ezekiel 28, verses 12 and 13, the prophet said, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, that could not really be applicable to the king of Tyre, but to the power that was motivating him and controlling that empire. You were in Eden, the garden of God, the only entity that could be applicable 
two was Satan, originally an angel that fell from his position of a beautiful, harmonious relationship with God. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, Ezekiel said. And then Isaiah said, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Once again, this is far too lofty language for just an earthly king, even though this passage was on one level directed to the king of Babylon. But it was Lucifer in the beginning that coveted God's throne. And if he was perfect, if he was the covering cherub over the throne of God and the music of Tibrets and pipes were in him in the day that he was created. So many have assumed he led the musical worship of heaven. How did he fall from it? Did God somehow design him for that position of evil? Or was it because he had something called free will? I believe God values free will and he's given it to angels. He's given it to human beings. And that's much of the reason there exists evil, both in the celestial world and in this terrestrial world. There is abounding evil because God knows that where love is legislated, where love is programmed like a computer program, where love is something that is so ingrained in us, it is an automatic response with no willful involvement on our part, then there's no meaning to it. Love can only truly exist where free will exists. And then you make the choice to love. And when you make the choice to love, it has authenticity, it has value, it has beauty. Otherwise, it's just robotic in nature. And there's no value and no beauty to it. And because God values free love to such a high degree, even when Lucifer or Satan in the beginning disregarded his highness and goodness and greatness and chose to rebel against him, and then Adam and Eve chose to rebel against him, God still let things continue on because he knew there would be a people and he knew there would be righteous angels who would choose to love him. And so the first issue of five issues I'm going to bring forth as an answer to the questions I posed at the beginning is the issue of love. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, listen to what God said to Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, again, that's a commandment, but it's not legislated to the degree where no one has any resistance to it. Now, when God said, let there be light in the beginning, the darkness could not resist it. But when he said, you shall love the Lord your God, there had to be receptivity on the part of those who heard that commandment. Jesus used the word if in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
So that throws the responsibility on human beings. And then once again, let me say it, love is authentic. Love has value. Love has beauty because it's a choice. I choose to love God above the cravings of my own lower nature. I choose to love God and keep his commandments above the allurements of this world. I choose to love God and disregard the enticements of satanic powers that would like to infiltrate my life. Love is a powerful force, so much so that in the Song of Solomon, it says love is strong as death. And many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. In other words, when a flood of sorrow comes in your life, a flood of unexpected painful events come in your life. If you really love God, you will choose to continue to love him and hold these other things at bay. That's one of the reasons, the first of five, that God has allowed evil to exist in this world. Because in order for love to be genuine, free will has to exist. And if free will exists, it gives an opportunity for license or for rebellion, unfortunately. And I'm sure just as much as it grieves your heart and grieves my heart, it grieves the heart of God. But there are other issues equally important. Number two is the issue of obedience. In Joshua 24, verse 15, Caleb said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He made a choice to be obedient to the law that God gave through Moses. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Think of that. That's a decision you've got to make. Are you going to be an obedient person? Are you going to be accountable to a higher power? Are you going to be accountable to moral demands instead of just doing your own thing and saying, I can have my truth and you can have your truth. And my truth says I can allow these things in my life. No, there is a standard that God has revealed in his word. Obedience is such a necessary lesson that must be learned that in Hebrews chapter five, verses eight and nine, it talks about Jesus in those two verses. And it says, though he was a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Why was it necessary for the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the only begotten Son of God, to learn obedience? Primarily, I believe it's because he is our example. He's the prototype of all sons of God to come. But also, he will occupy such a high place in the universe if there was any potential in him of rebellion against the Father, it could cause a major rift in the Godhead and the destruction of the universe. Well, of course, I think it's an impossibility that he would have disobeyed, but obedience was not such an easy thing. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed with such passion that the sweat came out of his pores mingled with blood. 
Think of that bloody sweat oozing out of him as he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And because of obedience, great victory was wrought. Victory over sin, victory over the curse that enveloped this world, victory over all satanic powers, victory over death, victory over the grave. And of course, having conquered these things, he said, it is finished. And now you and I can start our lives surrendered to him at the finish line. So we start from the victory that he won and we can start serving him with a victorious mindset because all our arch enemies have been defeated. He learned obedience not only because it went well with him, but because of the fruitful effects of saying yes to the will of the Father. Not only did Jesus have to learn obedience, you have to learn obedience. I have to learn obedience. And we learn obedience by the things which we suffer. And this could be an episode all by itself. So I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I will mention one character out of the Bible, David. I'm sure David learned obedience when he obeyed the impulse to disregard the cowardice of all the other Israelite soldiers and run out on the battlefield and withstand Goliath, who was taunting the army of Israel and saying, give me a man that we might fight together. And he runs out there without armor and only with a stone and a sling and brings down the giant. He learned obedience by the tremendous way God supernaturally empowered him to defeat this enemy of Israel. Later on, unfortunately, in a major way, David disobeyed God, committing adultery with Bathsheba, and it caused chaos in his family. One of his sons raped his half-sister, Another son killed the son who raped his half-sister. And then another son rose up in rebellion against David and actually stirred an army against him and on a, on a battlefield. And there were 20,000 dead men after that battle was over. And David knew that all of that resulted from his act of disobedience and how he orchestrated the murder of Bathsheba's husband. Unquestionable evil, unthinkable evil for someone as close as David was to God and all the things he suffered as a result. But he got his heart back right with God. You can read Psalm 51 where he said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Create in me a clean heart. And I believe God answered his prayer. I'm sure David learned obedience by his victory with Goliath. But I also believe David learned obedience by his horrible defeat when he gave in to sin. And the thing is, that lesson will go with us from time into eternity. Because the Bible forecasts that those who serve God in this life, who are under the lordship of Jesus in this life, will reign with him as kings in the life to come, in the new creation to come. 
And if there was any potential in us, any inclination in us toward disobedience, we could ultimately defile the new creation. There could be another rebellion and everything be corrupted once again. God's not going to allow that. And because of that, we have to learn obedience. That's why evil exists in this world, because those who are redeemed from this world learn this valuable lesson. Number three, we also have to learn the lesson of righteousness. Let me read a scripture. Isaiah 26.10 says, Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. God is very clearly explaining why only those who love righteousness, who learn righteousness, who embrace righteous standards for their lives qualify for the world to come. God said, if favor was shown to the wicked, other translations say, if grace is shown to the wicked, he will not learn righteousness. If God allowed the wickedest people to enter into eternal life, they would corrupt the next world just like they've corrupted this world. So we have to learn the lesson of love, experience love, choose love. We have to learn the lesson of obedience, experience obedience, choose obedience. And we have to learn the lesson of righteousness to the point where we love righteousness and we experience it in our lives. Number four is the issue of reward. It makes absolutely no sense for the Bible to teach that there is a reward to those who serve God if we're just programmed to love him and programmed to serve him and programmed to be obedient. And if God programs the world with both evil and good, like the yin-yang symbol represents that the source of evil is God, just like the source of good and the source of darkness and the source of light are the same, this impersonal life force out of which the universe emanated, if that was true, then God would be both evil and good. And that's an impossibility that robs God of his integrity. God exists apart from this evil world and is not tainted by the evil that is here. But Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A reward only makes sense if human beings actually have a choice, if they have free will, and if they can make the decision to love God freely and pursue a life of loving God and being accountable to him and being obedient and being righteous then a reward makes sense because it wasn't just God that created some righteous and some evil. It was God who gave us all the same opportunity to make a choice and rewards those who make the right choice. The next issue is the issue of the amazing way that God can reroute us like a GPS Many times I've got GPS in my car or my phone. I'm sure you do too. And I miss a turn and immediately it kicks in and starts rerouting me and telling me to make a U-turn somewhere and go down this other road to get back to the road I should have turned on. 
Well, if man can create a device like a GPS that can reroute us when we make a mistake and get us on the right road, then God allows evil to exist in this world because he knows he has the genius to reroute us if we make a mistake and make sure that we connect with our purpose in this world once we align with him. Another issue that I really should bring out also is the issue of metamorphosis in the world to come. And this is a little additional thought. There's a metamorphosis in the world to come because first John chapter three, verse two says, when we see him, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And when I say metamorphosis, that means a complete transformation. And the Bible actually uses the word metamorpho for the word transform. Uh, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that says, We all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And we are changed, or metamorpho, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. There's a certain glory that you achieve in this life by walking after him. He changes you in your character, in your emotions, in your way of thinking, in your lifestyle, in your relationships. But you, he changes us from glory to glory. There's a whole new level of glory awaiting us eternally. And this is the beautiful thing about it. By facing evil in this world, we will learn aspects of the divine character that we never would have learned in a perfect paradise. Like, for instance, you could never learn compassion in a realm of perfection because compassion is love that feels the pain of someone who's suffering and then seeks to alleviate that pain. Well, that can only be learned in a world where pain exists. Or what about forgiveness? You can't learn forgiveness in a perfect world where no one needs to be forgiven. It can only be learned in a world where there's harm, there's injury, there's hurt, there's damage through human relationships. And what about mercy? You can only learn mercy where judgment is deserved. And so, if there was only a perfect existence, an Eden-like paradise that we existed in, then nothing would be deserving of God's judgment and no one could ever learn mercy. And so those characteristics of God would be hidden from view and absent from us. But because we pass through this valley of the shadow of death, we've experienced compassion and forgiveness and mercy coming to us and flowing through us to others. And when we see Jesus at his return, we shall be like him in every sense. And those divine attributes, as well as all the others, like love, joy, peace, all those will be perfected in us eternally. All these can be traced back to the wisdom of God. And this is my final thought, that part of the reason God allows wisdom or he allows evil in this world, rather, is the wisdom that is unsearchable. There are really no answers when you reach the pinnacle of explanation. There's no way to explain fully in such a way that you completely feel at ease. 
why all of these horrible things go on in this world. War, theft, immorality, dishonesty. But I do know that God is wise. And he said this in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, God's saying, I understand. And one day, you and I will understand. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.